Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Yardina Osband, here with my friend, Chavruta Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masachat Ta'anit, daf Yudalad, page 14. The Gemara here has an interesting discussion that I think we've started to see a lot more about in written halakhic material uh, regarding whether or not women who are pregnant or nursing should be fasting. And it reads as follows. Tanya Chada, right? One brace of Ubarot umanikot. Pregnant and nursing woman, mita no barishonot, Fast on the first fat days, on the first set of fast days, but do not fast on the um, last fast days. Another Bryce taught, they fast on the last fast days, and they do not fast on the first fast days. So that's the opposite. And then another Bryce, a third one says, says that they actually don't fast at all. So now the Gemara needs to understand what to do with all these different braces. Amar Ravashi, so Ravashi says, Take the middle series of fasts in your hands, right? As those are, you know, so it's sort of saying these are the only fasts which pregnant and nursing women would be obligated to observe. Because then all the braces are actually reconciled with this explanation. So in other words, the first brisa says, women have to fast on the first fast day. So that really refers to the second series. That's that first, sorry. So remember, we have three sets of days. It's the first three, which is the Yechidim, then the next three, which is the Tibor, and then the seven. So when it's talking about the first set, it's actually talking about the, the second of the three, right? So that's, of course, very confusing, right? So that's, you know, first in relation to sort of the final um, fast. Right. The next brisa is basically talking that they have to fast on the last fast days. So that's really referring to the the seven, the the series of sevens. Right. They're the second in relation to the first, even though they're really the third. The third brisa says that they basically don't have to fast from the first. okay, or the right. It's calling uh, the, the first and the third series of fast. But maybe what it is saying is you would have to do the middle one. He's giving a very interesting read for sort of that third brisa where it says, lo barishanot velo baachronot, right? That he's, that it's saying like, well, then maybe it's the middle ones that you do have to fast on. Now, you know, I could see why maybe that's not a great read, but I totally appreciate what Rav Ashi is trying to do here. So that maybe what he's saying is, is that actually they have to fast in that middle series, which is the second of the three. Um, and so that that's, you know, that that's what's happening here. Um, you know, interesting explanation. Then, it, um, you know, explaining explanation. And then the Gemara sort of just like drops the discussion here with this and doesn't really give any more conclusion if they accept Rabashi's, uh, you know, uh, explanation. So uh, this passage to me is interesting for a variety of reasons. You know, one is it's halacha by men, you know, being written about something that really impacts women. Two is, it's interesting that Ravashi sort of just gives his explanation, which honestly does not make total logical sense to me. Um, And, uh, but it seems like he's not totally willing to say they can't fast at all, like the opinion of the third brisa. So he sort of tries to imply that the third brisa actually says that they do need to fast. Um, And you know, it's so that there's so little discussion around it is so striking to me. Um, thinking about how much time we spent talking about the bathing, I also was just surprised that they didn't bring in like an actual real life example here. And 
you know, I'm not quite sure what to make of that, right? Is that telling us something that they didn't really speak to women? Is it that there weren't women around to ask? Like, I just find it so striking in all of the other scenarios that they're teasing at from this Mishnah, they had often quoted like a story of, we saw this person do this. I, I mean, I would assume there were many women to observe whether or not they fasted. And yet that sort of direct personal experience or storytelling is just totally absent from this page. And the last thing I just want to mention is, is that I think the reason why this also jumped out at me is that, you know, for me personally, I, my oldest, who's, you know, 20, um, was, uh, I was pregnant um, on Yom Kippur and, with her. And I actually had my first bout of like morning sickness. I was six weeks pregnant and I was up all night in the middle of the night throwing up. And I sort of to this day, kick myself that I didn't think to like just break my fast or do shiram or something. Yes, it was Yom Kippur, but I was really sick. I actually almost ended up in the hospital afterwards because I couldn't keep anything down. And then by the time I had my youngest child, uh, many years later, uh, in fact, 14 years later, it was interesting that there was sort of this like difference. Um, I was 23 weeks pregnant over Yom Kippur, and I was really told explicitly by three different OBs, because I actually asked around a little bit, under no circumstances was I allowed to actually fast, and I had to do shiurim. And so I would just say sort of from personal observation of observing and also noticing that I think there are just so many more women now who have completed halachic certification programs um, or are trained to think about these things that they are themselves are really producing literature to think about, you know, this particular issue. Um, and I think that's why we are actually starting to see a shift. Like this really is an area where I feel very comfortable sort of saying, you know, the Gemara is written by men. It's such a short and brief passage. There's an absence of any female voice here. And I think in today's world, the modern world, we're really seeing the woman's voice being brought back into this particular area of halacha. So I just found this whole passage to be uh, very striking in how short it is and what it's missing. And then thinking about how halacha is being thought of and taught today by many, many well-educated and well-learned women. I think all of that is 100% true. I think that this is one of those details of halacha that we have seen. I mean, perhaps not as personally as you have seen it, but I think that the the shift to the question of whether one must or the lengths to which one must go to fast, um, I think have shifted dramatically. I think that there is often a difference here between Israel and the diaspora, where in many people's experience anyway, the psak that is given, I mean, on an individual basis to women in Israel is very often more lenient, like more, I would say more machmir to the health side um, of the mother than it is in Chutzlars, which I think is part of the Israeli culture of oh, focus on family and so on. Um, but I also think that the one pitfall that I would say um, shows up when we have more women's voices involved in exactly this kind of thing, which on the one hand is wonderful. It gives us many more women's perspectives and the awareness of exactly what a pregnancy can do to a body and how one might actually feel and perhaps the greater awareness of the need to at least, you know, have shiurim. Um, I think the tricky part is that then people are also a little bit more at risk of saying, this was my experience. And then, projecting it either in either direction on the supplicant, on the person who comes to ask the question, right, whether they should be fasting on Yom Kippur, let's say, for example, um, whether, you know, when pregnant or nursing. And 
the one person has a total breeze. It's not a big deal at all. And the next person is verging on the hospital. So it because I'm hoping that what happens as women are more and more involved in these kinds of questions is that what arises is sensitivity to the range of experiences and that people will get the best sock for themselves as individuals. And I think you're entirely right here, of course. It's it's absent. It's For us, anyway, it's glaringly absent from the Gemara. Um, I'm going to bring us back a little bit to the story of rain um, in Masachatanit. <laughs> if you come to the bottom of Amadalaf, we have um, a story that takes in the years of Rabbi Huda Nesia. There was a trouble. There was a trouble that happened in the community. What happened? Gazar Tlat. So it doesn't, the Gemara actually doesn't explain what was really going on. But what happened from it is that Rebutanasia Gazar Tlat Paniot. He decreed 13 fasts. Velo Ianu. He wasn't answered. What does it mean it wasn't answered? It means that the trouble didn't abate, right? Even though there were all these fasts. So then he thought, mm, maybe I'll decree some more. So Rabbi Ami comes and says to him, you don't bother, you don't bother, you don't trouble the community excessively, too much. That it should not be, meaning you've already required 13 fasts. If you do any more than this, it becomes onerous in a in a vast to a vast degree and the position you know rabbi ami's it's like he's referring right to this principle saying we don't do this we don't bother the seaboard to that degree so when rabbi ami said this and this is an interesting point he did it he did it on his own authority meaning his position to Rebbe Sia is to say, don't take this even further because it's really going too far. And Rabbi Abba says, mm, I don't know, right? He's doing this on his own. He's doing this on his own authority. So they say, Rabbi Chibar Abba says that Rabbi Yochanan says that rather the 13 fasts as a limit to 13 is what happens when you're praying for rain. But if you're praying because of other terrible things that could happen, then you keep fasting, you know, again, intermittently, not intermittent fasting, but intermittently um, um, until you get here an answer, min hashamayim, until you get an answer from heaven, presumably meaning that the calamity will stop. So again, this goes back to what was the Gemara is talking here about a Breita. It says the sages said three and they said seven, meaning when they're talking about how many fasts you can have, they're talking specifically about fasting for rain, which we've already discussed. It was so essential, is so essential for for everything for for life to function because it's you know the source for water and for food and so on so the 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 limit though is the limit to fasting is for rain i imagine this is because at a certain point <coughs> they they kind of had to accept that this is the way the natural world was treating them that year presumably they accepted it as a punishment right um as opposed to something that is more um 
like less likely to be happening. Any kind of xerat shmad, any kind of trouble in the community that is coming from you know from human beings is um, I want to say is less reliable and also therefore more able to like you keep at it and maybe God will re- relieve you of it as opposed to the rain issue that can happen year in year out so to speak um, at least to some degree. Okay, I'm jumping down <coughs> just because. Um, yeah, in the interest of time. So the people of Ninveh sent a question to Rebbe They said as follows, and this is a really, I think, really interesting conundrum. They say, we, we in Ninveh, need rain in the season of Tammuz. What's Tkufat Tammuz? It's the summer, right? That's And they say they need rain at that time. For the, the, the where Ninveh is, Ninveh is basically, it's now, they say it's near the modern day city of Mos- Mosul um, in along the Tigris in northwestern Iraq. So we know it gets so, so hot there, right? The claim that there's a need for rain there is not is not incidental. Um, so Hefi Navid, they asked Rabbi Huda what should they do if there's a drought in the summer? Kiyachidim Damenan, sorry, Okarabin Damenan. Are we like individuals because it's not really the time of rain in 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 the land of Israel? So maybe they're just like individuals who should you know have individual fasts, or are they like a tzibur? And if they're like a tzibur, that's a whole different you know path to what they're going to do for fasting. And so the answer comes to say, well, where there's a real dis- difference here. Kiachidim demenan v'shomeat fila okarabim demenan uvbirkata shanim. Do we? treat this like um where we where we ask for rain just in our own private bracha of shomet filah recognizing that god is the one who brings rain or do we ask for it explicitly like the birkat shanim that what we say which nobody is saying in the month of the summer but what happens if you live in ninveh and you really need that rain so he answered them that they're like individuals they should be like individuals but the Gemara doesn't like that. Meitvei, Amar Rabbi Yehuda, Ematai, Bizman Shashanim Keti Keti Tiknan V'Yisrael Shruyin Alad Matan. He says, When are we pay, praying for rain? Right? When does that apply? When do all the halachot that apply to the praying for rain? When do they apply? Right? He says that specifically when um when the years are here. It says. Kitiknam, as as they're supposed to be, right? And Israel and people of Israel are in fact on their land. They're living in the land. So what happens? We end up with an idealized time of what does it mean for the rain to be the way it's supposed to be? And that's how the whole fasting system gets put into place, uh, into play rather. Aval bizman hazeh, hakol lefi hashanim. This is but nowadays. Nowadays, meaning Jewish people are are all over the world, meaning. They weren't as far all over the world as they, as we were later. But even then, right, the Jewish people were dispersed, not only in the land of Israel. And the weather wasn't always what it was supposed to be or the climate. Again, not not to the degree that climate change is affecting us nowadays, but it wasn't always the way it was supposed to be in terms of the local climate doesn't always line up with the land of Israel climate. Meaning, so you end up with saying that everything is going to be according to the year and the place and also the time of year. Um, 
Rami Alai to Rabbi Rabbi Tana who Ufalik. So he says, well, this is the contradiction of Rabbi Huda against Rabbi Huda. Isn't this the issue that Rabbi Huda Nasi is a Tana? And so why is he now disputing the opinion of Rabbi Huda um, in in this um, in this debate? And in the end, the answer is, well, yes, he is a Tana, and so that's why he has the authority to debate. Um, one second. <laughs> so the end of the Gemara here says, "My hava alai." So what are they? What's the bottom line? Rav Nachman Rav Nachman comes back and says, "No, you don't just say if you live in Ninveh and you need rain in the summer months, then you ask for rain in Birkat Hashanim, the Tainto Matar Levracha. You need it for real." Meaning, maybe not if everything was as it's supposed to be with all of Israel in the land of Israel and the climate the way it's supposed to be. But as it is, since it's not that, according to Rav Nachman, the people in Ninveh should be davening for rain in Birkat Hashanim. Rav Sheshit Amar Tfila. And Rav Sheshit says, no, no, no. We're going to go back to the Rabbi Yudan Asipsak that says the halacha is that it, you should follow the rainy, the rainy season question, the rainy season. I'm sorry, what season is the rainy season in Israel? And that's going to be determining whether you ask for rain. You definitely should ask for it if you need it, but you would do so in Shomei Tfilah and not in the Tain Talmatar which I find to be interesting that, that the Gemara goes through this whole long discussion of why nowadays we should be thinking about this differently and then kind of falls into the pattern of let's be more cautious. Let's take the Rebuta Nasib approach and say that, well, we're going to treat you like individuals and not like a Tzibor. Well, this passage is also interesting because I think I kind of came into this Masachat thinking much more that the whole thing of the rain is very Eretz Yisrael related. And I think this passage makes it much more global, right? People need rain wherever they live. And it's sort of sensitive to the needs of diaspora uh, in a very nice way that, you know, we, hasn't really been talked about yet. So I, I, I just thought, that, you know, it, it's acknowledging that piece of the rain. Yes, there's a special piece about Eretz Israel, but, um, but it's also, you know, recognizing that diaspora communities may have their own need as well. That's our DAF discussion for the day. Thank you for joining us. Rank us, review us where you get your podcast. Come talk to us on our Facebook page and tell us what you think of this stuff. Thank you to Rabbi and Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. And until tomorrow, go and learn.